boy, uh, podcast today is fantastic. Uh, so much to talk about. We start with new uh, information about Nancy Pelosi's son being involved in Ukraine. We also have an update on what's happening with these Christians and the Yazidis in uh, Syria that are being bombed and killed. One family that the Nazarene Fund worked to save from ISIS. Their house was bombed yesterday. The whole family almost died. We'll give you that. But the the money today is on two interviews. One, Peter Schweitzer. Uh, Peter is uh, being trashed by Joe Biden in a letter to the New York Times where he says, New York Times, you're becoming fake news and conspiracy theorists because of an article that Peter Schweitzer wrote, an opinion piece yesterday. We have him on. Also, John Solomon, the guy who knows everything about the Ukraine scandal. I had, I think, 16 really important questions for him that I wanted cleared up, and we raced through it to get those answers, and there were bombshells that he dropped. You don't want to miss this episode, Critical. John Solomon, Peter Schweitzer, and we begin with Nancy Pelosi's son in Ukraine. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Ukrainian MP Andriy Durkach revealed yesterday that former Vice President Joe Biden received $900,000 from the Burisma Group for lobbying activities, citing materials related to an investigation. Now, before you get excited, I want you to know uh, that we have not personally translated the documents. There are several documents. We have only one of them, and it's all in Ukrainian. We are having it translated during the show today, uh, which is our first opportunity to have it translated. I am reporting on someone else's information. We have not confirmed this yet. Uh, this is, um, Ukraine's Verkhonova Rada member who is citing the investigation materials. Uh, he has publicized the documents, which he said, describe the mechanism of getting money to Biden senior at a press conference at Interfact Ukraine's press center in Kiev on Wednesday. This was the transfer of Burisma Group's funds for lobbying activities, as investigators believe personally, to Joe Biden through a lobbying company. Funds in the amount of 900000 were transferred to a U.S.-based custom- uh, a company, Rosemont Seneca Partners, which, according to open sources, in particular the New York Times, is affiliated with Joe Biden. Well, it's, it's, it's his son, Biden. The payment reference was payment for consultive services. Uh, Durach also publicized sums of money transferred to Burisma Group representatives, including Joe Biden's son. According to the document, Burisma Burisma paid no less than $16.5 million. Uh, To Devon Archer and uh, Hunter Biden who joined as a board of directors in 2014. 
Um, using political and economic levelers of influencing uh, Ukrainian authorities and manipulating the issue of providing financial aid to Ukraine, Joe Biden actively assisted closing criminal cases to the activity of, of former Ukrainian ecology minister, who is the founder and owner of the Burisma Group. Biden's fifth visit to Kiev on December 7th, a date which will still live in infamy, was devoted to making a decision on the resignation of the Prosecutor General, Victor Shokin, over the case of Zolevsky and Burisma. Loan guarantees worth more than $1 billion that the United States was to give Ukraine was the point of pressure. Biden himself admitted exerting pressure in his speech. Uh, According to Interfax, that is the group in um, the journalistic group in Ukraine, the timeline of events proves that the U.S. linked the Zelensky case to the loan guarantees. We know this. After the decree dismissing Shokin was published on April 3rd, the governments of the United States and Ukraine signed a loan guarantee worth $1 billion. In this case, there are facts that should be subject to investigation, he said. The agency has powers to investigate them. The U.S. Department of Justice, the, if the Ukrainian prosecutor general signs documents and sends them to the U.S. Department of Justice without any request, he will accomplish his mission. Considering international corruption in public is a way out for President Zelensky, I am certain that he is not involved in international corruption. The problem with this story is, is we don't know who to trust. Because everybody, everybody has lost credibility in Ukraine. And uh, everyone in the entire country. Well, no, there's... No, I'm serious. It just seems like every time you bring up anything, there's always going to be a corruption allegation because it seems like everyone in the country has committed some sort of corruption crime. Well, there is Victor. You remember Victor. He's the guy with the dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cute dog. Cute dog. The dog committed a corruption crime. (laughs) Yes, but not Victor. But Victor. But Victor's clean, we think. Mm -hmm. Um, No, here's here's the thing. Let, let's just change countries here for a second and put it in our part of the world. Cor- uh, um, uh, the uh, Ukraine is a very small country in the grand scheme of things. Okay, It doesn't have a large GDP. In fact, look at their GDP and see if you can compare it to states. See what state uh, Ukraine is like. So it's a small place. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's medium. I would say it's medium, right? Uh, I mean... Texas is bigger. California is bigger. New York will be bigger. Mm-hmm. Florida probably will be bigger. I mean, it's it's a state. Yeah, obviously part, part of the Soviet Union. Uh, right. For a very long time. Yeah. Uh, it's where you can go to... If you want to go see a nucle- the fallout of a nuclear disaster... I want to go. I really want to go. I do, too. Uh, that's the place to go. Right. Uh, in Ukraine. Right. Uh, let's see, Ukraine. Um, so, so if we could compare it to a country in our hemisphere, imagine if the Republicans all of a sudden had their family members. Uh, by the way, have you heard the latest on Nancy Pelosi's son? He was also now the, I think he was the COO of a oil company in, in Ukraine. So weird. You know, 
I don't think of Ukraine as a as a, as, as Disneyland where you send your children, but everyone no. in the Democratic Party seems to be sending their children over okay, there. Okay, so imagine. I think of it a place where where a hostile sequel would occur, uh, <laughs> right. and instead, right. they, people just keep sending their kids over there. Right. So if if a bunch of Republicans sent their families down to let's say Brazil, and they were and they were all running, you know, I don't know swimwear stuff in brazil we wouldn't necessarily think anything however if the republicans all sent their kids and their the dnc set up shop there and they were working through the embassy and all these things were going and the country was colombia we might all say you know george bush's kids set up a farm there i'm wondering what they're farming in colombia I wonder what kind of leaves they're picking down there. I wonder if this is a I wonder if this is a front for drug lords. I wonder if they're getting kickbacks from any drug lords and they're living high off the off the hog in Colombia. Wouldn't we be asking those questions? This is as corrupt as Colombia. And all all of our uh, of our democratic uh, friends seem to have some pretty great deals. Now, the latest on uh, Pelosi is that her son, and there's videotape showing it where he's he's proudly talking about his company. Um, it appears as though he was made COO of this company, but this company apparently was started by two criminals that couldn't own a company in Ukraine. They were no longer allowed. They were so corrupt. They were no longer allowed to have a business. And so Nancy Pelosi's son appears to have been kind of a beard for this company. Now, you would think again that if you were going to send your kids over there, you would warn your kids, hey, kids, this is really corrupt. I mean, you could easily fall into those Colombian drug lords. So if you go to Colombia, don't get in bed with drug lords. But both Joe Biden, John Kerry, and a third now, Nancy Pelosi, sent their kids over there, and they all happen to fall in a play with drug lords. Darn it. They're all in bed with oligarchs, and criminals. Hmm. It's just so weird. I mean, you think oh, really, really weird. Why would you? Why would you really even weird. go there? It doesn't seem like there's like tons of direct flights. No. It just doesn't <laughs> no, it's just seem not like a place yeah. you just go to. Yeah, people don't even know if it's Kiev right. or Kiev. They right. can't even figure it out. Yet <laughs> right. They keep sending people there. Right. They're sending people there. By the way, this is the place that Russia was trying to take back. And Russia had troops shooting people in the main square. <laughs> Just at the same time, everybody's like, hey, kids, why don't you go start a business in Ukraine? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so there's 233 countries uh, or states in the world. Uh, Ukraine, 33rd in population. 
44 million people. How many? What's the GDP? GDP. You look that up. Give me one yeah. minute. I'll mm-hmm. come right back. We'll look at the GDP. This is not a significant country. I mean, yeah, it a, plays yeah. a role because of its former Soviet status. But it's it's not like why? Why did they send so much over there? Uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, sh- should we defend them or help them? I mean, they sent their Obama sent his personal attorney over there. Hillary Clinton sent her her uh, personal strategist or chief strategist. Obama had his chief pollster. Bernie Sanders sent his chief pollster over there. Nancy Pelosi sent her son. Joe Biden sent his son. John Kerry sent his son. Yeah. 192 countries ranked by GDP, uh, Ukraine at 132. Hello? And especially when you consider it's, what, 40, what did I say, 40? 33. 33 in population? Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like the monetary paradise you'd want. No, it's really not. Mm. It's really not. While you're sending your son off to war, the Congress, the Democrats, seem to be sending their kids off to oligarchs. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and you're listening to the Glenn Beck program. If you like what you're hearing on this show, make sure you check out Pat Gray Unleashed. It's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Peter Schweitzer, I'm trying to take you serious, Peter, but it's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Always great to be out with you, Glenn. Thanks for having me. Thank we're, you. I guess we're conspiring in front of your audience. Oh yeah, right? no, let's. We're going to swear everybody to secrecy here. You, did, no matter what you hear in the next few minutes, you didn't hear us. We're not really talking to each other, <laughs> Peter. Let's first of all let me start with this. Last week, in something completely outrageous. They started saying that you were ripping portions of your book right off of Wikipedia. And the the charges were so crazy because they were saying, uh, what, what was the what was the one example, uh, Stu, that the, we were talking about just yesterday? Like, uh, they're talking about the mayor of Chicago who had a press conference when he sobbed. And then they like take part of your sentence that also used the word sobbed. And they're like, well, he copied the word sobbed from Wikipedia. And it's like, no, that's actually a word other people use. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. And and the problem is, guys, that, um, you know, if we had used the word cried, I'm sure somebody else had described uh, or published an article saying he cried. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, this is what's really happened is about two weeks ago, the New York Times had a news piece on this. Uh, The Biden campaign has has avoided trying to deal with Ukraine and China. You've talked about it and reported on it extensively. I did in Secret Empires. Their strategy was to ignore it. Uh, the problem is um, that, that it's really Stupid. captured the interest of the American people. So they've gone on the attack, and their approach is still not to deal with the evidence. It's to attack the messenger. So right. uh, they have tried these scurrilous attacks. Um, the bottom line is they don't work. Um, people are interested in this material. And as we've talked about before, Glenn, this is all follow the money. There's, there's no con- conspiracy we're no. alleging here there's no theory here we have the money we have the trips on air force two we have the uh, joe biden policies we have the joe biden favors now the people have to look at the material and decide one of two things glenn this is all just a crazy coincidence 
right, that, that Hunter got these deals that he didn't deserve and that Joe Biden did what he did. It's all just a coincidence. Or uh, there is corruption at the highest levels here. And I think most people that look at this, the vast majority of people say there's something amiss. And the Biden team, I think, is in panic. So I, I agree with you. And I think the um, I think the whole DNC is in panic right now. Yesterday, it came out that um, uh, Nancy Pelosi's son uh, was hired as, I think, COO of this oil company over in um, Ukraine. And you know right. why they went to Pelosi's family, because she loves oil companies, just <laughs> loves them. Um, but he was actually a beard for a company, for two owners of this company that were 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 um, uh, known oligarchs, known um, scam artists and criminals. They were not supposed to be able to open their own company. And so he was running it kind of as a beard. Well, I think she's panicked, too. I think they're all panicking. No, you're, you're exactly right, Glenn. I mean, if you look, uh, I was listening to you earlier, and you were talking about the Clintons. And, you know, the foreign country that donated more to the Clinton Foundation than anybody else was Ukraine. Joe Biden's son gets this sweetheart oil deal in Ukraine. Nancy Pelosi's son is involved with this deal in Ukraine. Um, John is- Kerry's son. Well, and, and, and here's, the, yeah, here's the thing, Glenn, is so, you know, we're all used to seeing all these stories about how corrupt Ukraine is. And it repels us. The problem is it has the opposite effect on our political elites because they see it as an opportunity to self-enrich. They see it as an opportunity for a quick payday in a way they could not get it in the United States. They could not get it in Japan or England because it wouldn't be tolerated. And this is the problem. China the same way. They're magnets for our political elite because they can do things and get away with things they can't in other parts of the world. And, and you know, as I talked about in the New York Times piece, this is a bipartisan problem, um, but I got to tell you, and I think the evidence is clear, uh, nobody has done this more systematically than Joe Biden when he was vice president. His son had deals in China. He had deals in Ukraine. We know that in a money he was drawing cash from, Hunter Biden, there was money coming from Kazakhstan. There was money from anonymous LLCs from Swiss bank accounts. Um, so there's a bigger, bigger story here. And what the Bidens want to do is attack me or attack the New York Times. Um, John Solomon. Yes, John Solomon. Absolutely. Excellent reporter. Excellent reporter. I deal with reporters from all kinds of mainstream media outlets, and they all know John Solomon and trust John Solomon. Then how come they're allowing um, even the New York Times to smear John Solomon? John worked for the New York Times. He worked for the Washington Post. He worked for Associated Press. He has outed people on both sides of the aisle. He's won all kinds of awards. How come his colleagues aren't standing up and going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute? John Solomon is not that guy. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Look, I think that uh, the New York Times, um, there are all kinds of things going on there. Uh, I deal with some reporters there, and and they are top-flight reporters. Uh, But there are problems with other reporters and with some of the editors. In In the case of my piece that ran yesterday... This may surprise a lot of people, but I, it was actually solicited by the New York Times. They came to me and said, would you write a piece relating to the Secret Empire's book? You and I have talked about it many times, Glenn. Would you write a piece in the New York Times book talking about the Bidens, give another example from the other side, and propose a solution? So they approached me, and you know everything that we do 
is fact-checked internally. But when you submit a piece like that to the New York Times, they fact-check it. It went through fact-check. Everything was fine. So, you know, my experience is there are Times reporters that are really trying to cover this stuff. There are other Times reporters, it's like any news organization, who are going to be more lazy or they're going to do somebody's bidding. Uh, And that's what I think you're seeing. And what the Biden letter from the campaign is intended to do is to try to basically push the management of the New York Times uh, to silence these people that want to cover this story. That's that's clearly what their intention is. Not to mention intimidate other publications from allowing your work yeah. to be seen as well. Exactly. Um, and I will say, too, you, you mentioned you put some, they asked for someone from the other side, which you supplied, which was yeah. uh, a person inside the Trump administration, along with Mitch McConnell, and his yeah. wife uh, Elaine Chao, and so you you went into this. You have even in the story they're complaining about. You went after both sides here, and your point being that this is not illegal, and that's the thing that needs to change. Exactly. I mean, it was funny. So another one of the hit pieces against me was uh, Jane Mayer of The New Yorker, um, which, again, has all this ridiculous stuff in it. But one of the things she she puts in there is that, you know, Schweitzer writes this book, Secret Empires, and really what he is is just an opposition researcher. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm thinking, man, I must be a really stupid one because I go after Republicans as well. So you know, <laughs> who actually am I doing opposition research on? And what I would say is, I'm doing opposition research on corruption, and that tends to be establishment political figures from both sides of the aisle. Um, and, and you're exactly right. This is a problem that doesn't have a D or R after its name. Uh, it has human after this name. It, mm-hmm. it goes to the basic roots. You guys talk about this on the radio all the time. It goes to that basic part of the corruptible nature of man mm-hmm. and power, its ability to corrupt people. And that's what we're seeing here, and they don't want people discussing it. I can't believe that the the uber left is not joined this parade on Ukraine because this takes down the the Democratic uh, uh, leadership, the the guys who are in this institution forever. It takes apart the Democratic National Committee. It takes apart all of it. And I can't believe that they're not grabbing onto this saying this is why you need to vote differently, because these guys are corrupt. Why aren't they doing that? Uh, great question, Glenn. I remember in 2016, um, you know, when I did Clinton Cash, and you and I talked about it, yeah. and uh, it got a lot of media attention, uh, New York Times, etc. You know, Bernie Sanders was reluctant for some reason to to you know criticize Hillary Clinton on this corruption. But if you followed his hardcore supporters on social media or on websites. They were all over this material because they get it. I think what you're seeing with a lot of the um, candidates right now is they're jockeying. They're trying to figure out strategically what's going to benefit them the most, whereas their base of supporters, if you're an Elizabeth Warren supporter or Bernie Sanders supporter, uh, a lot of them are true believers. Um, and, And I think they are outraged and they are starting to speak up about this. And I think the Biden approach of just saying this is going to go away if we just give it time is not true. I think the the reporting continues, the momentum on reporting continues, um, and that's not going to go away. And he's going to have to address this. And the only way he's going to be able to address this, I think, is to lay out precisely what went on. Um, and he's just not going to do that. Uh, he's been in, in you know in a safe uh, Senate seat for you know since 1972. Then he was vice president. He's not used to being. Held 
held into account. He never really had a serious challenger in Delaware. Um, and so it's just running contrary to his nature to say, I've got to go out and be honest and address this. That's, he hasn't had to do that in more than 40 years. So let me ask you about this. There's a, there is a new um, uh, allegation that came out from Ukraine yesterday um, by a guy named Andriy Durkak. He is a Ukrainian MP, and he said that he has documents, and we're having one of these documents, the only one that's been released, translated. Even the, the, even the press that has printed these documents has not translated for, for some reason. We have it in translation. I hope to have it by the end of the show, but I think it's going to be this afternoon before we get it. Um, but he says these documents show that Joe Biden... Not only his son got a piece of sixteen point five million dollars, um, but Joe Biden himself was paid nine hundred thousand dollars for his his work for Burisma on behalf of Burisma. Have you ever heard that he got paid directly? I mean, this is hard to believe because that's I mean, that that's that is illegal. It is, and, and I think it would be, you know, extremely reckless. I mean, look, Glenn, this is the reason I think that, that President Trump was actually, it was very appropriate for him to say the U.S. Department of Justice should work with Ukrainians to investigate this. The challenge in Ukraine is... Who do you trust? You, you, Yes, it's extremely corrupt. I don't really know this political figure. I don't know if those documents are accurate. I think exactly the way that you laid it out is perfect. You've got to be kind of skeptical and say this is hard to believe. But this is why you need people over there. The, the, the notion that somehow the Ukrainians should investigate this themselves, to me, is, is, is ludicrous. Yeah. Um, they're, they're just not going to be able to do it. And that's why we need people over there. Are these documents genuine? Are they real? Are they made up? Uh, there's so much political theater in Ukraine um, that I think we need to be skeptical until we have actual people go over there. John Solomon's been trying to do this. Yeah. Go over there who are professionals who know this and say, look, I'm, I'm using various tests, and these documents appear to be genuine. So I think your your, your tone and approach on this, Glenn, is yeah. exactly right. Yeah, it's it's uh, one of those things where when something is too good to be true, exactly, it usually is. Um, all right, Peter, thank you so much. Thank you for all of the work that you've done. Um, I'd love to bring you down for a podcast where we could spend 90 minutes on what you know uh, and take us through all of that. But I, I thank you so much for everything that you've done and keep your chin up. I know what it's like to be called a conspiracy theorist and to have all of your good work just thrown out um, and and ridiculed by those in power. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Hi, it's Glenn. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, can you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? If you're not a subscriber, become one today and listen on your own time. You can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. Uh, Rudy Atala, he is the chief operating officer of the Nazarene Fund. Um, He is... Uh, he's a guy, he's a native of Beirut, Lebanon, fluent in Arabic and French. He has had over 20 years in the United States Air Force, um, special operations to intelligence and counterterrorism. He has consulted presidents. 
and we are thrilled that he has been our COO, and he's the guy who is sending these rescue missions and putting them together and rescuing these people. Rudy, welcome to the program. Uh, uh, good morning. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you so much. You bet. I, I don't want to get into the politics of this because I know it's split, and it, we may even disagree on the politics of it. I just want to talk about the human cost and what is going to happen and what our our responsibility, I believe, for the people who choose to help their, you know, be a good Samaritan and help the people, um, what we can do. First, let's start with something I received last night. These horrific pictures of these people that were in what looked like even the hallway of a hospital um, trying to be... Um, cleaned up after a bombing i was told both of them were dead it's a mother and a father and their children the nazarene fund had already saved them once from isis and then moved them back into their houses and i was told they were killed you have a different story this morning yes sir actually they uh they survived they were uh, critically wounded um uh with the bombings uh, the uh, unfortunate thing is when uh when Turkey began its bombing, it's very targeted um, uh, against the, it's it's focused on the Kurds. But uh, as we know, um, Christian families live uh, uh, in in Kurdish areas. Many of them come from uh, centuries, uh, you know, uh, of of uh, you know family lineage in the area. And this family, unfortunately, uh, was was uh, critically wounded. Uh, we're getting uh, the ground invasion just began. Uh, in a fra- four-pronged attack uh, fra- into northern Syria. And uh, the displacement, as of this morning, we're, we're hearing that over 100,000 people has, have already been displaced. And uh, this number is going to continue to increase. Um, uh, we're slowly getting um, uh, feed from uh, from our, some of our, our, uh, our members on the ground. It's been very, very difficult, as you can tell from, uh, from the bombings and the shellings, to get this information, but uh, so far, a lot more people have been wounded. We just don't have a very good tally on the numbers right now. We have, when we have the video, we are just receiving new video. Uh, if we have the video of, go ahead and roll this. This is a, a town that uh, somebody appears to be standing on their roof, and they're showing that it's just everything around their town is on fire, uh, been bombed. Um, they yeah. were safe. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about this video, uh, Rudy? Did you get it? Yes. Yeah, Glenn, I just saw the video. This is coming from uh, the town of Tel Abyad. That's in the uh, north-central uh, region of Syria, uh, of northern Syria. And, um, you know, the person that videotaped this is videotaping the, uh, the, the different sections uh, where, the, where the Turks are bombing. Uh, the Kurdish forces are not going to uh, take this uh, laying down. They're going to actually fight. And the reason why the fighting is going to actually happen is because back in January 2018, the Turks uh, went into the town of Afrin in Syria and and uh, uh, cleansed over 200,000 Kurds. This was in January 2018. So, so Kurdish forces saw this and are not going to, uh, this time, 
sit back and not be prepared, they are going to fight to the death. So um, these are not people. I I wish we wouldn't have been in bed with these particular Kurds. These are not the Iraqi Kurds who are very pro-democracy and freedom and love America. These guys are really some, you know, they're they're Marxist, uh, communist uh, kind of, you know, they're authoritarian. Um, And I don't like being in bed with them, but still they fought against ISIS they actually were guarding a lot of the ISIS members, which we have taken apparently the worst of those ISIS people and got them out so they're not you know, released back into the public. But that's one of the things the Kurds and the Christians and the Yazidis are afraid of is the, the, those gates are going to be opened uh, from those prison camps and they're all going to just disappear. Yes, that's correct. So what's going to happen is, as as the Kurdish forces will be pressured, big camps like Al-Hol camp, uh, which has houses right now over 70,000 uh, prisoners, mainly the uh, the women and children of ISIS fighters, many of them very radicalized and have sworn to fight. Uh, camps like Ain Isa, Roj, all of these camps now will be under a major duress because the Kurds will not be able to maintain uh, you know, guard over them. And the likelihood, and uh, actually Baghdadi last month, uh, the, the, the leader of ISIS, uh, made a plea for his fighters to go in and rescue all these prisoners and get them released. We are now already hearing of, of ISIS in, uh, attacks, or we're hearing of uh, uh, suicide attacks. Uh, not unconfirmed yet, but I, I'm not surpri- I, I would not be surprised if they start to show um, you know, back when when uh, when ISIS was strong and they controlled uh, a good chunk of real estate in northern Syria, many of the ISIS fighters were found uh, with uh, with uh, SIM cards from Turkey. Their rear base, their their support would come from inside Turkey. Um, well, we know so we so- shut down two organ harvesting, you know, quote hospitals, um, and they were in Turkey. They were they were helping harvest organs with ISIS. Uh, And, uh, you know, Turkey is Turkey is she may be an ally in NATO, but it's not an ally. It's not. They're on the wrong side. And if I'm not mistaken, I'd love you to correct this. They want to reestablish the Ottoman Empire. They want their land back, even from the northern Iraqi Kurds. They want to um, they want to wipe out all Kurds and many of the Christians. They don't want them there anymore. And Turkey has done this in the past. Uh, am I mistaken that we're looking at a, a genocide? Yes, I would call it an ethnocide. But yes, you're correct. And, and the reason why is because the current president of Turkey is a card carrying member of the Muslim Brotherhood. And when the Muslim Brotherhood was established in the early part of the 20th century, the view from Hassan al-Banna, the founder of the Muslim Brotherhood, is to return to what he calls pan-Arabism and pan-Islamism, basically a control. Uh, when, when Islam had conquered all the way up to the end of the Ottoman Empire in the beginning of the 20th century, it had a large real estate in North Africa, across the Middle East, into a good chunk of Europe. And, 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 and the idea of behind the Muslim Brotherhood is basically to return to this pan, pan-Arabism. And that's the foundation of it. 
um, the current president of Turkey holds these views in his mind. So what he's talking about right now is is repatriating a lot of the refugees that are inside Turkey into northern Syria and creating that buffer zone. Unfortunately, most people don't understand that what he really wants to do is he wants to rid of northern Syria of any presence of Christians or Kurds and replace them with Arabs, Sunni Arabs that have the same mindset. Because only 17 to 20 percent of the refugees currently in Syria are, uh, I mean, in Turkey, are Syrian Arabs that are Sunni, that are Sunnis. So, so he's not going to have a lot of refugees to work with, and he's going to have to replace the rest of these gaps with other people. Okay, Rudy, uh, you and I have talked to many of these Christians in the past. They've wanted to stay in the area because they don't want to abandon the the birthplace in many cases of Christianity the you know, where the apostles actually set up the actual church that they attend. Um, and they don't want to, they don't want to abandon it. Uh, I have a feeling what's coming now. They're going to be willing to say, I, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. We got to get our families out of here. Yes. Um, this is, Am I overstating it to say the problem may be worse than it was before and we have to get these people out? Yes, it's a, it, it can become a lot worse and we need to help every single one of them. And the reason why is they're going to get pushed into areas that are predominantly dominated by uh, Iranian-backed militias, which are just as bad as, as ISIS. Yeah, and there's no place to we go. we can see a resurgence of ISIS. So they would be indiscriminately targeted because of their Christian faith. And, and, and sadly enough, as you mentioned, we would lose a lot of those Judeo-Christian uh, areas that, that, that have been there for centuries that hold basically the, the, you know, the, the historical data of, of our, our heritage of where we originally came from, like, you know, the tomb of Jonah, the tomb of Nahum, and all these, all these very special old places that you read in the Old Testament. So, and these Christian, these Christian families are, are, are you know, we, we talked, I was uh, in, in Iraq with my team uh, not even a month and a half ago, and uh, we were talking to 684 Syrian Christian families that were crying. They wanted to return back to Syria, but they could not because, you know, the infrastructure was taken away from them. They can't even work. Now we're going to see even more Christians leave from inside Syria, and all of them are going to be pushed into neighboring countries like, you know, Iraq, like Jordan, like Lebanon, which are already at the at the brink of maximum capability for to help refugees. So they don't have they don't have the infrastructure to take in more refugees. Uh, the medical capabilities are not there. So what the Nazarene Fund is doing is we are finding these families. We are helping them stand on their two feet. Uh, we're working with the government of Australia, and we're looking for other governments to take them in. We're trying to give them a new lease on life. Many of them are professionals. A lot of these Christians mm-hmm. uh, are are professionals, doctors, doctors lawyers, lawyers yeah. engineers very well-educated people. All they care about is raising their families properly, but they're not allowed to work in many of these countries. I had a woman, she looked at me and was crying. She said, I'm a, I'm a professional teacher. I ran a school in, in Damascus, Syria. I can't return right now because it's so dangerous for me and my family. 
She said, I'm, I'm stuck scrubbing toilets from, from 8 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock at night. She said, I'm not ashamed to do it. Nope. I receive $5 a day for it. And, and she said, I'm not allowed to work as a teacher because I'm a Christian. And what's amazing is most of these people will do those jobs, and they would do those for the rest of their life, but their lives are being cut short now, and this is a real problem. Right. Please join us. Please join us. NazareneFund.org. Help us. We need your support now. The NazareneFund.org. We've got to move these Christians out. They're going to get slaughtered. Um, the NazareneFund.org. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Like listening to this podcast? If you're not a subscriber, become one now on iTunes. And while you're there, do us a favor and rate the show. Okay, last week we did a chalkboard. It is the the most watched video the Blaze has ever produced in ten years. Um, it is it's watched on YouTube and Facebook as well. Uh, it is hard to find, however. <laughs> Uh, it's almost like it's being suppressed. If you want to find this chalkboard, go to YouTube and the Glenn Beck page and search for Ukraine Scandal Explained. Ukraine Scandal Explained, and it should pop up, and it's a edited 50-minute version of the uh, chalkboard. A lot of the reporting that we uh, got and, and the evidence that we have on that chalkboard came from John Solomon, who has been relentless on Ukraine, and we have a ton of questions. And, John, normally we kind of meander, and I'd like to – I have literally have two and a half pages of questions I'd like to get to. Uh, <laughs> so we way, can kind of move ready. quickly. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on today. Okay. So, first of all, thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for the bullets that you are taking. I know what it's like to have your life's work just discredited and your yeah. and everything called into question, even though you have – the goods um and uh you'll make it through it and you're going to come yeah. out as a hero in this story i believe well, well the great thing is uh i don't really want to be a hero i just uh, the good thing about journalism is facts are a stubborn thing yep and i think when people look at the facts and they get rid of the spin and the personal ad hominem attacks that don't have any basis you focus on the facts there are a lot of troubling questions and mm-hmm. i'm sure you're going to ask me a lot of them today yeah <laughs> well so um, Devin Nunes has just revealed that they were looking into a report of strange requests uh, to use yeah. government resources to monitor journalists over right. there. And we have to be cautious because sometimes those are OK. Sometimes yeah. they're not. Do you have any new information on this? Well, I can tell you what happened. Uh, you know, I was listening with interest when, when Congressman Nunes made those comments last night. About 10 days ago, I received uh, some communications from uh, the intelligence community, from sources I had there, and they said to me that there, there was going to be a revelation soon about some inappropriate monitoring of my communications. Now, they weren't more specific than that, uh, so uh, that's really all I've had for the last 10 days, and you know, I let my note lawyers know, and we're just going to wait and see okay. if an actual notification comes forward. And then we heard Congressman Nunez last night. What he talked about was very similar to the the information the intelligence committee sources were telling me over the last 10 days. It sounds like, from what we know, that um, uh, the U.S. Embassy in Kiev uh, may have been monitoring a handful of journalist communications. Now, they might be public communications like our Twitter accounts and our, our interviews, or they might have been private. We don't know yet. 
Um, there are very specific rules in the State Department and the intelligence community governing this, and it sounds like Congressman Nunez wants to find out whether those rules are complied with or not, whether this was an appropriate or inappropriate monitoring of communications. And, and as I learned a long time ago, this is my first time I, in 2002, the FBI similarly uh, or you know, actually inappropriately intercepted my mail without a warrant and kept it in an effort to keep me from writing about stories about mm-hmm. what had happened before 9-11. It just took a while to get to the truth, and I think we need to be patient. There, there seems to be a red flag here, but we don't have all the facts. Okay. I want um, to be careful and patient. Let's go get the facts, and we'll find out what happened. We have um, the ambassador, Yovanovitch, uh, uh, testifying before the House. Um, do you believe she may be involved in any of this or just if you just don't know, you don't know? Are we going to get anything, do you believe, uh, new on whether she gave the Ukrainians the do not prosecute list and why she didn't grant visas to the prosecutors who said they had evidence on Biden and collusion between the DNC and the Ukrainian embassy? I, I think she's a very important witness, and, and I look forward to finding out what she has to say. Um, what we do know, uh, first of all, on the monitoring, usually such monitoring, if it was done out of an embassy, would have to be authorized by the ambassador under the normal rules. Okay. We don't know if that happened here yet, right? We could okay. have just yep. some rogue agents. So let's wait all and right. see. But the normal process is for the, would be for the ambassador to authorize such a request. So let's all wait right. and see what she says. Tomorrow right. we'll, we'll learn more tomorrow. On the do not prosecute list, this is one of my favorite red hearings. Um, the those who now conspir- uh, accuse me of weaving a conspiracy theory say uh, a Ukraine prosecutor, Lusenko, the general prosecutor, the attorney general of Ukraine at the time, did an on-camera interview. It isn't in dispute. He said it. And he said that uh, in his first meeting with Ambassador Yovanovitch in 2016, uh, she gave him a series of names of people she did not want uh, to be prosecuted. That was a sensational claim. And so I did the interview in February I spent an entire month checking it out before I actually allowed the interview to run. That doesn't get mentioned in any of these stories attacking me. During that one month time, here is what I was able to do to corroborate what the uh, Ukrainian prosecutor general had said to me. First, the State Department and the Ukrainians both gave me a copy of the same letter. It's an April 2016 letter. It clearly shows the embassy in Kiev instructing, pressuring, ordering the prosecutor general's office not to pursue an ongoing investigation of a George Soros funded group called ANTAC, the the Anti-Corruption Action Center Mm -hmm. of Ukraine. It's a George Soros group. It's funded partly by Soros, partly by the State Department. That letter unequivocally shows in writing that the State Department pressured Ukraine not to pursue an entity. In addition, the State Department uh, put a senior U.S. official on background for me prior to my uh, writing the story, and I gave him the, the names and said, these are the names that Prosecutor General Lusenko said came up in the meeting as people that the U.S. did not want to see prosecuted. And that senior official said to me, and I, I have the, the quotes right in front of me. I actually had them ready just in case you asked me about this. I can confirm to you that U.S. Embassy Kev mentioned several of those names during conversations in 2016 with the prosecutor general's office and other law enforcement agencies that we did not want to see those people harassed, investigated, or prosecuted. So the State Department confirmed it. There was written letters showing such pressure being applied. And now the the media and, and their defenders are trying to claim that that's a bogus story. It's not. It's been corroborated. It's been confirmed. And I hope tomorrow 
Ambassador Yovanovitch will honestly answer what went on in that meeting. I got news for you. I don't think she is because she's instrumental in the corruption. She would be incriminating herself on a lot of things, would she not? Well, you know, listen, I, I, she probably carrying out what she thought was the policy of the United States or certainly her best effort at it. That doesn't mean it was right or wrong. I, but I think just getting the fact based right. out there, were, were the Ukrainians telling us the truth? It appears they were, based on my reporting. Let's wait and see what she has to say. Are you as the story. are you as solid on her not granting visas to the Ukrainian prosecutors that claim to have evidence of the Bidens and collusion between the DNC and the Ukrainian embassy? And she, under the Obama administration, refused entrance to those people. So my understanding is that this these visa um, uh, Oh, geez, you're breaking up. You're breaking up. No. Only, uh, so what happened was uh, a lot of people think that this all started with Rudy Giuliani going around Ukraine saying, giving me dirt. It actually started much earlier. First, in, in May of 2018, more than a year and a half ago, uh, Congressman Pete went to Ukraine, came back deeply disturbed. By what okay, hang on, hang on. Are you moving in a, into a different room or pacing or anything? Because we're losing you. Uh, I don't think so. No. All right, hang on just a second. Let, let's uh, let me take a quick break because I don't want to miss a single word on this. Let's take a quick break. Have our engineers look at this. See if we can get a better connection. All right, we have him now on a different line and a different phone. Uh, John Solomon. Uh, we were talking about uh, the prosecutors at the right. embassy. Did she refuse visas um, right. to let these prosecutors come in and work with the DOJ? So there were three waves of concerns expressed by Ukrainian authorities, including the prosecutors and other officials. May of 2018, then House Rules Committee Chairman Pete Sessions, a Republican from Texas, one of the most powerful chairmen in all of Congress at the time, he made a trip over to Ukraine. He came back and he wrote a letter to the brand new Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, and said, I have heard some deeply troubling reports from both Ukrainians and Americans that our ambassador is bad-mouthing President Trump, and I think you should recall her. That was the first time that U- Ukrainians on the ground raised the concern that they, were, uh, they saw the ambassador engaged in inappropriate behavior, interfering in investigations, that sort of stuff. A few months passed, nothing happened. So the Ukrainian prosecutors under Lusenko, uh, the career people, not, not Lusenko, the political figure at the top, but career people downstream from him. They hired an American lawyer. This is in the uh, October, November timeframe of 2018. They went out of the way. They hired a a former U.S. attorney here in the United States, and they gave him a packet of information of things that they think were going wrong. One was the the ambassador was interfering in Ukrainian internal affairs, like telling us who we could prosecute and not prosecute. Two, that Joe Biden had fired a prosecutor who was investigating his son's company, Burisma, and three, there is some significant evidence, and there's about to be a court ruling in Ukraine. This is in the fall of 18. There's about to be a court ruling that Ukraine inappropriately interfered in the U.S. election in 2016. We'd like to get all this information to the Justice Department. That U.S. attorney, uh, a Republican, reached out to the U.S. attorney's office in New York and provided that information. The reason they hired that U.S. attorney was that they had tried on their own to get visas to come to the United States, and the embassy was telling them they would not process the the request. They were just sitting there unprocessed. So they wouldn't reject them. They wouldn't approve them. And so they were in limbo. And so they hired this lawyer uh, to go provide that information to the U.S. attorney in um, 
New York. I confirmed with that U.S. attorney. He did, in fact, convey that information. He was, in fact, hired. They were, in fact, not getting their visas. So an American confirms this story from the Ukrainians. Okay, so and then we go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. And then we fast forward. The third wave is when eventually Lusenko, the boss of these um, uh, career prosecutors in Ukraine, the attorney general of Ukraine, they call him the prosecutor general, he reaches out to me and agrees to do an interview, and he says on the record uh, what had happened, both you know, confirming what Pete Sessions said, confirming what the prosecutors had done in the fall, and, and you know, legitimately raising concerns, which is when we have a diplomat on our, our soil in Ukraine, their job is not to tell us what to do in our internal affairs, mm-hmm. it's to make, you know, deal with American policy, but mm-hmm. not to tell us who we can and can't prosecute on our own soil. And so three waves over, over a year, all under President Trump, all efforts to get information to the United States that they thought was troubling, and all before Rudy Giuliani ever got on the ground in, in Ukraine. So did we get those those documents? Did that ever come, and whatever happened to it? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, the uh, I spoke to the U.S. attorney, the lawyer who you know was hired. He says he did, in fact, give a, a general summary of what they had and then offered to get them all the documents, all the underlying documents that would validate or confirm that summary. And the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York never responded with interest, never asked for the documents. Basically, it died with the first uh, letter that was sent over. So uh, it does not look like the U.S. Justice Department under Donald Trump was very interested in it because they could have at least gotten the documents. So what did I do? I went and tried to get those documents, and I got many of them, uh, like the letter I told you about, the do not prosecute letter, uh, like the uh, bank record showing how much Hunter Biden was paid, I went and got those myself, and I spent months and months validating them with sources, both on the American and U.S. side. And when I would have two or three sources saying that is an accurate document, yes, I can confirm that happened, then I proceeded in writing my stories. All right. Um, A Ukrainian lawmaker who I've not heard about has just announced that he has documents that Joe Biden was personally paid $900,000 for lobbying activities for Burisma. He claims the documents back this up. Um, It seems like one of those things that is too good to be true. We don't know who this guy. I don't know who this guy is. Do you? And have you heard this? And is there any truth to this or possibility that it's true? It's come up many times in my conversations with the Ukrainians. Uh, the problem for me as a reporter, and again, it's a sensational thing. It would be a wonderful thing to report, you know, and make famous if it were true, but it's not true, right? And uh, Here's how I know it's not true. I have the internal uh, accounting registers of, of uh, Burisma. I was able to get them from a source. They were validated by Burisma corporate officials. They show every transaction the company ever made. There is no transaction listed in that um, uh, accounting ledger and in any of the financial books or any of the wires that I also been able to get uh, showing a payment to Joe Biden. So I, I don't give much credence. That lawmaker is very closely aligned to Russia. So it could be Russian misinformation or propaganda. I will say many people have alleged that on the ground. There's a rumor that has long been on Ukraine, but I always stay in the form of, of, of what's in the fact. And what I can tell you is the amount of money that goes to Hunter Biden's company is a lot more than what Joe Biden and Hunter Biden say. If you look at the press reports of the last year, there's this number that keeps coming up that Hunter Biden only got $50,000 a month. Now, only is a lot of money. 50000 is a lot of money, right? That's a big chunk of change. The problem with that account is that it greatly under, uh, underestimates or uh, it greatly uh, diminishes how much money really was flowing to Hunter Biden and his company. 
I have put into the public domain uh, the corporate records of Rosemont Seneca. How did I get them? I got them from the FBI in America. They had seized them in another case. I was able to obtain them from the court file. For, from the period of 2014 and 2015, you can see from May 2014 through the end of 2015, regular payments totaling more than 166000 every month going to Rosemont Seneca from Burisma, usually in two payments, 83333 twice. It's highly likely that those payments were one for one was for Hunter Biden and the other was for his business partner, Devin Archer, both who got put on the board. Now, that's unusual. One American company having two board members uh, it raises a question about independence of the board. Right. But there is at least that much of money. Some months you can see as much as two hundred and twenty thousand dollars going to Rosemont Seneca. That is a lot more than fifty thousand. All right. Let we me... do not know what that money was for. It's marked in the ledger as consulting payments. So the, that would mean these board members were also paying themselves consulting fees. That is why the Ukrainians wanted this to be investigated in America, not under Ukrainian law. They wanted Americans to look at it and find out what was going on with the money. All right. Tell me about Nancy Pelosi's son. He apparently was also, uh, I think, a COO of an oil company over in Ukraine. Do you have anything on that? I don't. I don't have much visibility on that. I've seen the reports. Um, I think there's a much more interesting story emerging uh, in the next few weeks. I would keep an eye in the next month on the Office of Special Counsel, not to be confused with Robert Mueller's Special Prosecutor's Office. This is a career office, and it's where whistleblowers traditionally go when when they have evidence of wrongdoing. I am seeing pretty substantial evidence that the OSC is, is, has an ongoing investigation into multiple energy companies in Ukraine and the possibility that the Obama administration created erroneous records that allowed more money to flow to those energy companies than what that they were entitled to get at the time. I, that case is still unwinding, but okay. I think we could see a lot of people involved in that case soon. Wow. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.